This morning I'm reading from the book of, of uh, Galatians, not Ephesians, Galatians chapter 3 and verses 6 through 14. Paul writes, Understand that in the same way that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, those who believe are children of Abraham. But when it saw ahead of time that God would make the Gentiles righteous on the basis of faith, Scripture preached the gospel in advance to Abraham. All the Gentiles will be blessed in you. Therefore, those who believe are blessed together with Abraham who believed. All those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, everyone is cursed who does not keep on doing all the things that have been written in the law scroll. But since no one is made righteous by the law as far as God is concerned, it is clear that the righteous one will live on the basis of faith. The law isn't based on faith. Rather, the one doing these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. He redeemed us so that, Abra that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, and that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. So I want to talk this morning about faith. What is faith? Why is it so important? Now, a lot of times... The word faith is used interchangeably with religious belief. So we would talk about the Christian faith, or the Jewish faith, or the Muslim faith. And, and what we really just mean is the religion, the set of beliefs that you hold to that make you a Christian, or a Jew, or a Muslim, or, or whatever. <clears throat> we reduce faith to what you believe in sort of a doctrinal sense. And that's maybe part of it. That's not an illegitimate use of the word, but that doesn't really get at what faith is. Another way that we sometimes would use the word faith is, uh, or misuse it, is treat it like it's a magical tool for getting whatever we want. Sort of the name it and claim it school of thought, that faith is this force that we can wield to make things happen. And again, it's not that there's no basis for that. I mean, Jesus does talk about, you know, if we have the faith of a mustard seed, we can uh, move mountains. So faith, faith does have power, but to treat faith as though that's what it primarily is, is this magical power that's, that's not what faith is. Sometimes we talk about faith in the sense of like blind faith, right? that believing in something without any evidence whatsoever. It, it's just a shot in the dark. I believe this maybe because I want to believe it or because I feel pressured to believe it, but I really don't have any reason to believe it. That's, that's what I've found a lot of times as I've taught over the years is that's how students tend to define faith in terms of blind faith. Well, I, have to be, I can either believe 
what I have evidence for, or I can believe something else in spite of that. And again, that's not really what, again, there's part of that. Sometimes faith does require us to step out into the unknown, to maybe go against what we see with our eyes, but that's not really the essence of what faith is. Biblical faith is different from all of these things. Biblical faith, what we see, for example, in Abraham. I mean, Paul is always pulling up Abraham as the example of faith. He does it in, in Romans 4. He does it here in Galatians 3. When he wants to talk about what does it mean to have saving faith, the kind of faith that saves us, that justifies us, or, or causes God to declare us righteous, he always points to Abraham, as Abraham is the clearest example of this. And what we see in Abraham's faith is that it is rooted in a covenant relationship with God. It's personal trust. It's like what, you know, I was talking to the, the kids. Think of a person that you trust. And if they say something, you'll believe them, not because you, know, you just choose you want to, not because you're just going against you know, evidence, but because it's rooted in a relationship with a person. You trust the person, and as an extension of that, you believe what they say. You believe in what they will do because of that trust, right? It's trust in a God because he is known to be trustworthy. That's what we see in Abraham. Through all these stories in Genesis of Abraham, you know, God telling Abraham to do something and maybe Abraham kind of reluctantly does it or half-heartedly does it, but in the end he finds God is always there for him. And that helps him trust in God. We'll come back to that a little bit later. Now, in Paul's theology, so here we're, we're doing this series on Galatians, because I felt like we needed to balance out the Sermon on the Mount. We had done the Sermon on the Mount, which was very focused on, well, here's the law, here's the standard you have to live up to, you know, nothing's passed away, in fact, it's gotten harder, and if all you had was that, you would, kind of, you would kind of wonder, well, where does faith come into this? Where does, where does believing in God come into being a Christian, or is it just about what I do? Galatians is the other side of this. Galatians is, is where Paul talks about how we can't earn salvation. There's Nothing, no amount of works that we can do that will make us righteous before God. So for Paul's theology, he is constantly contrasting faith with what he calls works of the law. Now, it's not the law itself. He, Paul, this is a very tricky thing, but I don't think Paul disagrees with Jesus in the sense that he's saying, well, yeah, parts of the law or maybe even all of the law has passed away, is just, just throw it out. And Jesus said that that would never happen. But, but what Paul is talking about here is the mentality that the law by itself can save us. 
that if I do all the things in the law, if I just work really hard, I can be righteous before God. Right? Instead, he says, you can't do that. The only means of being declared righteous before God, or what we call justified, is to have faith. And he points to Abraham. He says, look, Abraham believed God, and because of that, God considered him righteous. God declared him righteous. Not because of anything he did, but because of his belief, because of his faith. Now, last week we looked at another side of this, which was uh, the faithfulness of Christ. That there's a sense in which we have faith, and our faith in Christ saves us, but it also depends upon, in a sense, the faith of Jesus, in the sense of Jesus' commitment to do what God told him to do. The human side of Jesus, because Jesus is both God and human, as a human, he had choices to make. Was he going to be faithful to the mission that God had called him to, which meant dying on the cross? Was he going to be faithful to keep the law? You know, it's when he's tempted by uh, Satan in the wilderness for those 40 days. He could have chosen to do what he wanted, but he remained faithful to God, where none of us have ever done that. And the whole idea of us having faith in Jesus and that saving us only works because he was faithful first. So it's all predicated, it's all dependent upon the faithfulness of Christ. But this week, we're going to look at our faith. Faith as a response to God. And it's on the basis of that response of faith that God declares us righteous. And so again, Paul points to here the case study for how this works is Abraham. He says, Abraham is the model of faith in God. And he goes back to this story from Genesis 15. So here he says, understand that in the same way that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, those who believe are the children of Abraham. What he's doing here, he's, he's quoting from Genesis 15. This is the story where God takes Abraham out to look at the stars and he says, count the stars, and that's how many descendants you're going to have. Now, I had a friend who grew up in, in Decatur, like in, in the city, and when he was a kid, he told me that, that one night, he, you know, he read this in the Bible, and he went out, and he looked up at the stars, and he tried to count them, and he counted 12. That's all he could see because of the, the city lights. And so he took that literally, oh, that's the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And then he came out, I lived out in the country. And he came out there, and he saw that there were way more stars than that. And so, you know, eventually he realizes, oh, that's the point here was it's too many to count, right? It's way more than 12. Abraham couldn't count the stars. And 
when God told him this incredible thing, he believed him. He believed him because he trusted God. And it says that because Abraham believed God, God credited it to him as righteousness. And it's, it's kind of a tricky thing to translate. It could mean he considered him righteous. It could mean uh, you know, he declared him righteous. But the point there is that what he was looking for in Abraham was simply trust. Will you believe what I tell you? And he did. But what Paul does here is he says, look, that's the, that's the pattern. That's the, the paradigm. And those of us who imitate Abraham in the sense that we have faith in God, we trust in and believe what God says, we are spiritually descendants of Abraham. He says that, you know, those who believe are children of Abraham. He's saying that the more important thing here beyond Abraham's physical descendants is that he would have spiritual descendants, those who would share in his faith. And if you tie together what Paul's doing here and elsewhere, uh, elsewhere in Galatians, we'll probably get to this later, uh, you know, a different week, and what he does in Romans, what he's saying is, look, when Abraham believed God's promise about descendants, it included the coming of Jesus. Jesus is one of those stars. Jesus is one of those descendants. And so in a roundabout way, Abraham believed in Jesus. He didn't know the name Jesus. He didn't know anything about him. But he believed that God was going to, through his descendants, bring blessing and salvation to all the earth. Now, from a Christian perspective, that sounds an awful lot like, like what Jesus does. So Paul says, Abraham believed in the coming Messiah. He believed in Jesus. The only difference between Abraham's faith and our faith is that he was believing in something that hadn't happened yet, and we're believing in something that has happened. But the faith is the same. And it's all rooted in this covenant relationship between God and Abraham. If you read the stories about Abraham in, in the book of Genesis, you see this development in his faith. From the very beginning when God tells him to go, leave your family, leave everything you've ever known, go to the land I'm going to show you. And we see that initially he has all kinds of doubts he doubts whether God will protect him and his family. He doubts whether God can really give him a miraculous descendant. He questions God all the time. But by the end of his story, we see that he has so much trust in God that he is willing to offer as a sacrifice the child of promise that God had given him. He is so convinced that one way or another, God will keep his promise that he's even willing to do something that seems like it would destroy that promise because it's all bound up in Isaac. 
And yet when God says, I want you to take Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering, he's going to do it. Because he believes God won't break his promise. One way or another, Isaac's going to survive. Even if he has to bring him back from the dead, Isaac's going to survive. He has to. He has to survive because God promised that it was through Isaac my descendants would be numbered. That's his unshakable faith in God. And so Paul says those who share in that faith in God are Abraham's descendants. Faith in what? And for Abraham, it was this promise of descendants, this promise that through him all nations of the earth would be blessed. And for us, it's the same thing, but it's from a different perspective. It's the other side of that covenant, what we see fulfilled in Jesus, that it's through Jesus that all that blessing does come to all the families of the earth. It is nothing less than what I talked about last week. Our faith is in the faithfulness of Christ. We trust that Jesus will do what he said he would do. We trust that Jesus will be faithful to save us. We trust that, that he actually accomplished something by dying and rising again. See, God had already hinted to Abraham way back at the very beginning that ultimately the purpose of this covenant was to save all nations. All right, Genesis 12, 3, this is when, when God first calls Abraham to leave his family. He says that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Paul points to that. He says, look, God had already told Abraham that through him, through his descendants, there would be people from all nations, what, what were called the Gentiles, it's you and me, who would be saved because of that. Right? Therefore, the Gentiles, this is Paul's main point in writing this book, is that the Gentiles who share in Abraham's faith are counted as his children, and they're included in the covenant and its blessings. And he says that, hasn't, that, that was the design from the very beginning. God always intended to include the Gentiles as well. Now, this is a lot of abstract theology. And I, I talk, last week, Michelle told me she likes the, uh, when I have the Bible geek moments. This was a long one, right? This is a lot of very abstract theology. What's the point? How does this abstract theology inform us in our Christian lives. This is, this is the so what. All right, that's all the stuff that would be on the test, right? If I were giving a test, I'd be like, okay, do you understand Paul's theology here? But how do we live it out? How does it inform the way we live? Here's what it means. It means that our salvation is not based on our ability to obey the law. Because we can't. That's what Paul says. The law can't save you. You can't keep it perfectly. 
right? He says that, that everyone is cursed who does not keep on doing all the things that have been written in the law scroll. Unless you can keep it perfectly, it will not save you. Right? And so that means our salvation is not based on that, it's based on faith. This is where the rubber meets the road for us as Christians, is that we are, by definition, a people of faith. Right? So what Paul says, those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because they can't keep the law. No one is made righteous by the law as far as God is concerned. But instead, the righteous will live on the basis of faith. All right, so this is him kind of pitting those two against one another. Not in the sense that the law doesn't matter. Not in the sense that, that we no longer have any moral expectations. But you can't earn your salvation. You can't do it yourself. See, there are kind of two approaches to how, how being a Christian works. Two, two different ideas that people have about what it means to be a Christian and how it is that we're saved. The first is we're saved by being good. Right? Good people go to heaven when they die. Right? As long as I, in some sense, at the final judgment, I am evaluated as a good person. Maybe that means I'm above average. Maybe that means that if we were to look at the median morality of every person on earth, if I'm in the top half, I make the cut. Maybe it's some other standard. But the idea there is it's all about me. It's about what I did. All right, so I ultimately saved myself. That's one approach. The other approach is that we are saved by faith. And by faith, I mean trust in the work of Christ. That our salvation is actually not something we did. It's something that Jesus did. It's the result of the faithfulness of Christ to God's plan to save us. Now, I, I, I'll give you a moment to think about which of these two seems to be what Paul thinks being a Christian is. It's, it's number two, right? Paul would say it's number two, right? He's, here's what he says. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. He redeemed us so that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus and that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It was Christ who redeemed us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, the fact that we, we broke it. And he did it by taking it upon himself. He became a curse for us. This is what we call atonement. That through the work of Christ, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, our sin is canceled out. This is the gospel which Paul proclaims to the Galatians is the only gospel. Don't listen to any other gospel. He says this is the one true gospel. 
And this one true gospel is actually the very thing that sparked our Methodist movement 250 years ago. This was what catapulted the Wesleyan movement. This was the, the thing that, that John Wesley finally it clicked in his mind. And it was the message that he began to proclaim in the streets and in the fields and, and anywhere he could find a group of people. It was the thing that got him into trouble. It was this idea of salvation by faith. I want you to listen to this for a moment. I'm sure most of you have heard this before, but this was Wesley's, uh, what Wesley recorded in his diary um, after his Aldersgate experience. He went to this Bible study on Aldersgate Street, and this was the moment where he finally felt like he was saved, like he fully trusted in Christ for his salvation. And here's what he says. <clears throat> While he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. He says he felt that he trusted in Christ alone. He had assurance. He, he was convinced. He trusted that Christ had taken away his sins. That's what it means to have faith. And that, again, that doesn't mean that obedience or the law or even works of the law by themselves are inherently bad or that they don't matter, but it means they are all predicated upon faith. None of it works without faith. Faith is what leads God to declare us righteous. Because we have all inevitably broken the law. And faith is what gives us the ability to live out God's commands. As Paul quoted, the righteous will live by faith. So, what I want to close with this morning is just a wish, uh, a, a, a desire that we would be like Wesley and the other early Methodists, that we would be known first and foremost as people of faith, and that from that saving faith would flow transformed lives that live out that righteousness that would be unattainable under our own power. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us to trust you, to not rely upon our own power, thinking that, that we can do it ourselves, or deluding ourselves into thinking that we can somehow be good enough to get by, but to realize that we are wholly and completely dependent upon you, upon your grace, and upon the work of Christ, and that it is only because of what he did that you can declare us righteous at all. May we rest in that assurance that our salvation has been bought.
may we then live in that. May we be people who live by faith. May we translate that faith into obedience. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.